Hello, welcome to the new episode of Supplycast, the podcast from the Healthcare Supply Association. Today, my guest is Matthew Swindells, who will be well known to a lot of the people listening right now. Matthew, first of all, uh, thank you for joining me on Supplycast. It's a pleasure. It's, it's good to be here. I'm good, looking forward to our conversation, Bruce. So this podcast has kind of happened because uh, Matthew at the uh, HSA Winter Conference back in November uh, did a presentation there and, um, you know, and I was in the auditorium watching it and I could tell that everyone was very engaged by it. Um, you, you very bravely did it without notes and slides, as I recall, and just kind of like went for it. Um, very, very brave, but I must admit, I didn't see the join at all, Matthew. So, you know, it definitely worked. I would say that's a, that's a relief. It's yeah. a, I'm not a big one for standing in front of a group of slides and uh, telling people what they can read for themselves. So it was a, and it was a good audience. So you kind of, when you get an audience that's properly, yeah. engaged, it's easy to talk to them because you can tell when they're listening. Yeah, there's, um, it, it was a, it was a very engaged audience. So I was in there and it was a very large audience as well, which I think kind of, uh, you know, I think the size of the, of the audience there and in general, the people that are at obviously the HSA when the conference was a record number of people. I just think everyone sort of feeds off it, don't they? So I think the presenters, you know, f- feed off it and, uh, you know, delegates feed off it. So yeah, I mean, you could definitely see that in your presentation. Um, as I said at the top of the podcast, a lot of people will be aware of you uh, and, and what you've done within the, the industry. Can you just give me a little pricey, perhaps, of what you've done in the past and what you're doing now as a chair of Northwest London Trusts? Yeah, sure. I mean, I've been in the NHS. I've been in healthcare for the whole of my career, and I've been in the NHS for most of it. Um, I came in as a uh, graduate supplies trainee in the Northwest region as it uh, was then um, and spent two years um, living in hospital accommodation at the Blackburn Royal Infirmary and working around Blackburn, Burnley, Manchester, Preston, Chorley, places like that. Um, and so so my my original uh, induction to the NHS uh, what was, was into supplies and procurement um, and then I went on to be the head of IT uh, procurement for the Southeast region um, uh, from there. Um, from that, I went um, to St. Thomas's Hospital um, because they were implementing an IT strategy and they thought they needed someone who knew how to manage suppliers. And so I moved into a pro- IT project management role there as their director of their IT program. And from then onwards, I've sort of I moved around uh, in NHS roles. So I thought I'd like to have a go at general management so I moved across into running women and children's services then I became chief operating officer for a big acute hospital um, and then I became chief executive for another uh, big acute hospital uh, just outside London which was um, so that great experience of, of kind of seeing the uh, the NHS from from many angles um, and then back in 2005 when I was uh, running the Royal uh, Surrey County Hospital in Guildford, um, I got a call um, from 10 Downing Street. I was I was actually sat in the stand at Goodison Park about to watch Everton. <laughs> what what one of my one of my deep miseries is being an Everton supporter. Um, <laughs> I was I was almost going to say I'm sorry to hear that, but yeah, um, no, it, it, but, it, it but, is a tragedy. We all have our <laughs> yeah. crosses the bear, yeah. But uh, but the uh, 
uh, it's like two minutes before kickoff on the last game of the season and my phone rings. Okay. Mm. Who would ring someone up two minutes before kickoff on the, the last day? Was it a key season? game as well? Was it? Was it we weren't you... fighting to stay up in those no, days. We had decent side. We, we were fighting. Uh, yeah. As I remember it, we beat, we beat Newcastle that day. But, okay. Uh, and it was, uh, <laughs> but it turned out it was the Prime Minister's office and he said, uh, and it was the Saturday after the 2005 general election and, it, and they said, been interested in what you've been up to in Guildford. Will you come in as special policy advisor to the then sec- to the new Secretary of State who'd just been appointed that morning, which was Patricia Hewitt? And so I spent a couple of years working as a policy advisor in uh, Number Ten, uh, uh, so in the Department of Health, and uh, mm. worked closely with Number Ten. Then I uh, then I moved into being Chief Information Officer for the NHS, um, right. and then I went and spent some time in the private sector. And then most recently, I came back from having spent several years working in the States, uh, running the global business for an IT company to be deputy chief executive uh, of, uh, of the NHS um, uh, and, and sitting on the NHS England board, with, which is a phenomenal job. I, I love that. And now uh, I am chair of the four um, uh, acute trusts in Northwest London, Imperial College Hospital, Chelsea and Westminster, uh, London Northwest Hospital uh, and uh, Hillingdon Hospitals, and those four hospitals employ about thirty-three thousand people, turnover of four billion a year, and mm. uh, and I chair the board, chair the board there, um, which is fantastic. Getting back down to really grassroots every week, I'm out in some hospital, walking around, talking to a group of uh, nurses or uh, in an admin department or talking to the IT people or talking to the porters about what's really going on. So that's been, that, that's been my journey, has been in healthcare, sometimes running hospitals, sometimes in IT, sometimes in the commercial sector, but, but now back at home in the NHS. Well, clearly that's a very storied uh, career path you've been on there, Matthew. Uh, I believe that you took this uh, current role that you're doing as chair of the Northwest London Trust in April last year, was that right? Uh, yes, it was announced in April. Yeah, no, yeah, I started on the first of April, um, uh, and it was the first time that the four trusts had had a Mm. chair. Um, so they're four independent trusts, big hospitals as well. Um, the the, uh, Imperial College Hospitals Mm. and one and a half billion pound turnover organization. And Mm. what they had learned during COVID is that. The nature of the problems that, that we have at the moment uh, are such that hospitals have to sort of put put their egos aside, put their weapons down at the door, and actually work together for the benefit of patients. So as we emerged out of COVID, the question was, what? Well, how do we do what we did? Um, or how do they do what they did during the challenge of COVID? How do they make that the norm rather than retreating back into competing with each other? Um, and so. They chose to appoint a, a joint chair. And when I first started, I was chairing all four boards. Mm-hmm. Since September, we've had a single board covering the four trusts, but the four trusts have not been merged. They've still got a chief executive and a finance director and a mm-hmm. medical director. But all the things that we ought to do together, we do once. And all the things that ought to be done at grassroots level are run by the individual trust. But there's one board pulling them together, not pushing them apart. How's that working out so far? I mean, obviously, I guess that's a lot, quite a bit for those individual trusts to get used to, as you've alluded to there. Sometimes there's a little bit of um, territoriality, perhaps. Um, how is it working with people, working together and sort of sharing information and that kind of thing? Uh, 
remarkably well, actually. I, I, th I think the I think the COVID experience, which the four hospitals handled really well between them, uh, was a uh, almost a moment to rethink the way in which uh, we've been running hospitals. And uh, so there's a lot of culture. And uh, I mean, I've been a hospital chief executive. In some ways, mm -hmm. the best way to motivate your own organisation is to put yourself in competition with the hospital down the road and describe how much better you are than them. And I've done it myself. So mm. that this was asking people to move away from that, a, a way of inspiring their organisations and to want to be the best themselves, but also want to be greater than the sum of the parts. Mm. Um, and we've made we've made some really significant, really significant progress. But it was an important decision not to start by reorganising the management. I mean, I, mm. I've, I've, over the years, I've come to the conclusion that the NHS has got nearly one and a half million people working for it. It can do many things at the same time, unless one of them is being reorganised, in which case it can only do being reorganised. Right. Um, yeah. So what I didn't want to do was to have every orthopaedics general manager running around polishing their CV because they thought there might only be one manager of orthopaedics. Right. Plenty right. of work to go around. Mm. So it's more about the, the sense of how do we work together than some sort of tidy-minded reshuffling of CVs. And over time, some departments may get merged, but it'll be because the departments themselves have said that this is crazy, we're duplicating work, there is a better way to, uh, sure. to get to the right answer. Um, and, you know, it's early days, we've been doing it for nine months, we've had yep. a single board for only three months, we're just about to do our single second single board meeting in, in January, so um, uh, it's a bit early to declare victory, but I don't think we could have done much better in the first nine months than we've done. And how do you see this 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 collaborative approach? Uh, how do you see that benefiting the procurement teams at those trusts? So in Northwest London, we are um, we've actually moved to create a single procurement team across the whole of the Northwest London ICS. Mm -hmm. So the four trusts have handed their procurement teams over, as has the mental health trust, as has the community trust, and bringing that together. And we're very supportive of that as an approach. Um, I think it's uh, th there are clearly benefits to be had for the whole of the NHS from the scale of the procurements that we do, the amount of money we spend. Um, there have been, there's been a history of uh, almost the, the big hospitals undermining those sort of uh, procurement regimes by treating the price that's negotiated centrally as the price that they can then go out and beat as being like the maximum price rather mm -hmm. than price and of course the consequence of that is then that the people who are trying to do the deals um, can't guarantee the volumes which means that the price that's set by the procurement team is higher than it might be and then the big hospitals go off and do their own deals and community trusts and primary care ends up spending more and net it's worse for the NHS so we're, we're very bought into the um, we want to be part of something that lowers the overall cost of health care mm -hmm improves the quality of what we've got. And if that allows us to standardise the uh, equipment or the materials we're using so that we can move nurses around and they'll recognise what they find, they'll recognise that the, uh, the drip pump that's being used in one hospital is the same as being used. All of that is good for quality and is, and, and is good for patients. Um, the flip side of that is, therefore, there's an obligation on procurement uh, teams to actually engage in what's going on in real healthcare and what's really going on on, 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 the, on the front line, that this isn't an administrative process, it's about delivering uh, real healthcare and making it easy for our staff 
to use. If it's easier for them to go on an Amazon on, on Amazon and buy something than it is to go on the NHS technology and buy something, then there's going to be a trend away from honouring the deals we've done. So, so we, we need the procurement uh, teams to be smart and engaged and treat themselves as part of healthcare delivery and not as part of an administrative back office. Well, I mean, certainly the feedback that I get from the, the conference and in general when I'm meeting with, with our members is very much that that's something that they're keen to, that they that's at the front of their mindset and they're yeah. also keen to endorse themselves, that they are not just a back office function, but there's someone playing a, a, you know, a key role in delivering healthcare to patients on the front line. What's been the response from procurement professionals so far that, that are kind of under that wing in Northwest London? Uh, I think there's uh, I think there's an enthusiasm. I think there is a concern that um, if you merge into a, in, in, into a into a joint venture, you get further away from the front line rather than closer to it, and that's mm -hmm. something to sure. be really careful about. Yeah, and I think there's a general sense in in, in the supplies community that they're a bit locked away in a darkened room, um, and 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 aren't aren't <laughs> Uh, aren't where they need to be in, in some of the conversations. And that's something that's both up to us as the senior management of organisations to resolve, but also is up, I mean, uh, is, is up to the procurement professionals themselves to make themselves invaluable, that uh, being given a seat at the table because we ought to do that. I don't find adds a, adds a lot of help. Making sure that you've got your procurement leadership in the room because uh, when you're redesigning operating theatres, because why wouldn't you? Um, it makes it makes people more interested in, in the opinion you're being able to you bring into the room. Uh, as someone that's always had a close association with procurement in healthcare, where do you feel suppliers fit into procurement right now and what their role is and uh, where, how do you think that could develop? Suppliers. Um, mm. the, uh, so, I mean, one of the things that we learnt... Um, so I was at NHS England when we when we were preparing for the possibility of a hard Brexit, um, and we did a lot of work then reviewing the supply chain and how you got stuff to the front line. Um, and several things became clear. One was the NHS's supply chains are not nearly as robust as you'd like to think they are. Even when we're using multiple suppliers. It either turns out that they're all getting their, their equipment from the same factory in China or everything is coming in um, through the channel tunnel and one blockage on the channel tunnel and it cuts off 80% of the supply mm -hmm. of the international supply chain into the NHS. So, so I think, and we gathered a huge amount of data there, which then COVID happened and no one did anything with because we had a different crisis to deal with. I do think we need to take a deep breath go back and look at what we learned when we were preparing for a hard Brexit and say, what are we going to do to solidify our supply chains? What are we going to do to make sure we have multiple routes into the country that, um, uh, that, that individual crises, be it um, COVID in China or a falling out uh, with the customs arrangement in France or um, some crisis in airline travel doesn't suddenly mean that, that that we are we are hugely vulnerable, and and that requires a bit of strategic thinking. And I think so. I think there's a piece there, and the supplier part of that is really important. Firstly, they often have better data on what we're using than we do, which is a bit of an indictment of NHS's information. But 
um, the farmer industry often has a better idea of what it's supplying than, than, we, than we have what we're buying. Um, and if you're going to create robust supply chains and you want to change stuff, that is a partner conversation with your suppliers. Uh, it isn't something you can simply solve by rewriting the specification. So, uh, so I think we need, we, we need to have those conversations. But we also, on, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm all in favour of having, and having worked on, on the supplier side, um, uh, having worked for a big IT company, um, there's, a, there's, there's a lot of problems selling into the NHS. But equally, we don't, we don't need our suppliers to love us all of the time. We had to, you need to pull out. When they yeah. charge different prices for the same product, the different parts of the NHS based on pricing and what they can get away with, we should be calling that out. And it may be an uncomfortable conversation, but we should do it anyway. Uh, you seem like uh, the perfect person to ask you with your experience, but you're taking how things are at the moment. This went scary headlines everywhere, you know, um, difficult change in winter expected. Um, but still a, a lot of concern and a lot of worrying stories going around. How do you think, what do you think of the current status of things in terms of the supply chain right now and the kind of pressures that HSA members are, are feeling this winter already? Um, so so I think that, I think it's a multifactorial question. Mm -hmm. I think all staff in the NHS are feeling under pressure understaffed and underpaid. Um, we've had uh, a long period of close to pay freezes with, within the NHS, uh, particularly in an environment uh, like supplies where the skills are highly transferable out of the NHS in, in, in many cases. You can, you can see uh, the, the people that you did your SIP exams with um, 10 years ago, sitting in the, in the private sector and, and receiving their five, 6% pay rises every year. And you haven't had that in the end. So, so, that, sure. so there's a bit of that, which affects mm. recruitment and retention. Mm. And we have to keep reminding ourselves that what we're doing is a social good here. You, yeah. Many of us could go and get paid a lot more money in the private sector. Um, mm -hmm. I think the pressure to actually deliver cost savings through procurement are greater now than ever and more important than ever because the NHS is running really thin at the moment. It, it, and, it, um, and one of the things that I loved about working in supplies was that if I delivered a hundred thousand pounds saving, that was a hundred thousand pounds that got straight to the bottom line of the organization that was mm -hmm. benefiting from mm -hmm. it. Um, to take a hundred thousand pounds out of, uh, in costs out of an organization by improving uh, operating theaters productivity by 3%, that's a massive change. Facing down a supplier and getting them to, uh, uh, to take cash off the bottom line it is actually a much easier way of doing it. And, and we should remember and feel proud of the fact that the work that's done, um, be it in supply chain by reducing the stock that's being held in every, on every ward or by the deals that we're doing with suppliers, are mean that I as a chair and not having to reduce frontline clinical staff by however much money you have just saved us. So, 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 so I, but that, but that's a pressure to deliver and to deliver quickly um, because the, because the pressure is, is right, is right now. Um, and I think the, the general sense of working in an organization where people are feeling very stressed. Um, it's, we've not bounced back from COVID as well as we thought we were going to, um, 
just understanding that the, 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 the NHS, um, it's the problem that uh, politicians have a real problem with this idea that three things can be true at the same time, that the NHS is probably the most efficient health system in the world. The NHS is undoubtedly underfunded and there are productivity improvements and waste reduction you can find everywhere you, li- you look. Mm-hmm. And everyone goes, yeah, yeah, well, George Politics go, yeah, so how do I take the waste out? I go, you know, you need to understand these three things are through at the same time. Um, and we do need to drive productivity and we do need to remove waste, but that doesn't mean that we aren't running every one of our departments with fewer staff than we ought to have to have an optimal service. It doesn't mean that the patient experience isn't a lot poorer than it ought to be. Um, and the, the most of what we're doing is bare bones now. Mm-hmm. Do you just um, finally for moving the final bit of the podcast, uh, do you feel positive for the future? I feel positive for the future because I think the NHS's place in, uh, in society is uh, is understood um people uh whatever happens here however um problematic it might be in terms of an ambulance response time or a waiting a and e in this country if your relative gets sick you don't have to worry about whether you're going to be able to pay your mortgage because of the cost of health care sure yeah yeah and that and people here However much the public uh, uh, might complain and however much we might as professionals know that we are not delivering the service that we'd like to be delivered, that is a big difference to many other countries ar- mm-hmm. uh, around the world. And, the NA, uh, and there is no support in, in, in the public for the idea that it would be so much better if it was insurance funded sure. or if it was yeah. just a safety net. So, so, so the core that the NHS will go on keeps me confident that even at times like this, when it doesn't feel as though we have a government who understands the complexity, we will come through it and we will come out the other end because in the end, the people will vote with their feet and, and, and they will say they won't, uh, they won't put up with the NHS being strangled as it is. But that doesn't take away from us the responsibility as leaders to deliver the best possible, lowest possible cost health service for the taxpayers' money that we're being given. Okay, great. Well, now I am going to wish you off to the final part of the podcast. And as I know that um, you're you're not a regular listener, it means that you're going to have to think off the top of your head. <laughs> that's your that's your punishment. That's your punishment, Matthew, for not being a regular listener. Yeah, um, well. you, you don't know what's coming right at the end of the podcast. So, um, regular listeners will know this is where we, we take you off to in, in the, the little bit at the end that we call Desert Island Supplies. Ho ho. And we ask you three things. Uh, you can take a luxury item, you can take one film, and you can take uh, one album from a musical artist. And obviously, you know, that's it. That's it for the rest of, well, it's for the rest of your life, really, on that desert island. <laughs> but first of all, Matthew, what, what might be the luxury item that you take? I mean, oh, I mean obviously, my, my, my primary need at the moment uh, is a centre forward for Everton while Cabot Lewin is injured, but me taking <laughs> the desert island. <laughs> that's not gonna that's gonna help that's not gonna help Everton unless you're taking the whole of the Everton squad, every squad in the Premier. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, so, so be a bit uh, busy, wouldn't it? Uh, uh, I mean I uh 
to be honest, I could probably live happily in a cave if I if I had a if I had a laptop and a decent internet connection. So I don't know if <laughs> Desert Island has that. Um, if it doesn't, then yeah. uh, 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 then I'd probably choose bubble bath because <laughs> some of my finest thinking sat in the bath. I think that's uh, <laughs> reading too much Douglas Adams as a child. Yeah. Well, we'll let you. We'll, we'll let you have both those things. People, I've allowed people to take mobile phones, so I guess I have to allow it. But um, we'll take both those answers on that. Um, what music do you think you would you would take? Well, I'm I'm a huge Bob Dylan fan, um, yep. which is uh, uh, so. Um, uh, so, although my daughters are trying to drag me into uh, into the 21st <laughs> century with. Uh, great modern alternatives like Grace Petrie. In the end, I think I would probably take uh, Bob Dylan's Blood on the Tracks album. And you're going to stick stick with Bob, and why not? Stick, stick with Bob. Bob's been bit, Bob's been with me since I was about fifteen, and uh, and he's not yeah. yet. Exactly, he's not let you down. That's great. And finally, a, a film. There's one film you'll be able to watch as much as you want. That's a. That, I mean, that's that's a tougher question. Isn't mm. it? What I'd really to want to take is a box set of The West Wing, but if you won't let me... No, take no, no, you can take that. We've had people take TV. I will uh, allow it. Is right, that what I, I, I would take a box set of The West Wing with me. Um, uh, huge fan of Aaron Sorkin, and uh, uh, and I'm a political obsessive, and yep. the idea that you could have a government uh, led by a president who is overwhelmingly driven by what is the right thing to do cheers me up when I open around the state of the world at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I hear exactly what you're saying, Matthew. Matthew, thanks for that. Thank you for finding the time. I know you're very busy uh, going around seeing all, the, all those um, hospitals that you're now overseeing. Uh, thank you for finding the time to do the uh, podcast. So thank you for that. And I hope you can join me on the next episode of Supplycast as well. Bye.